All right. Cool thing about Mike and Polly, uh, we had them actually uh, in the youth ministry a couple years back, back when we had set a goal for $25,000 uh, for Speed of Light. They came and visited uh, and shared, and I actually went to school with both of them, so it's really cool kind of seeing God uh, continuing to work in their heart and in their life. Excited to have them uh, back and uh, looking forward to catching up with them. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am tasked and excited uh, to be able to bring, share the word of God with you this morning. Um, man, it's a, it's a doozy of a day here. Um, having a little bit of issues with the back projector, but that's okay. God is faithful. Amen. And I just believe that, uh, man, I just believe in the word of God today. So is that cool? I'm, I don't know. Just like, I just believe in the word and I'm trusting and believing that your hearts are going to be able to uh, hear the Spirit of the Lord as he speaks to you this morning. Um, Pastor Jeff has done such a great job of putting together this, uh, this, this series of rekindling hearts. And, and, and ultimately, um, when I look at this particular series, uh, and I look at the different things that God has been speaking to us as a church and over the past few months, really, honestly, it is very clear and very evident that God is speaking to our hearts and I pray that today, as we take a look at Rekindling Hearts and we look at this the final kind of installment in this series, um, that it would move each and every one of us to respond to God, to rekindle our hearts back to him, back to the Father. Let's pray, and then we'll jump straight into the message. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. God, I'm asking you to empty me of myself, fill me to overflowing with your spirit, help me to communicate your heart today, and Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, may we make a decision, Father God, to truly live lives that are rekindled, that are rekindled to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. I just want to say good morning to the Rakuya family. How are you guys? You guys doing good? I'm doing their daughter's wedding, like in... A month. Mom, hey mom, what's going on? Good to see you. Yeah, yeah, I get to see, I get to, I get to do a wedding in a month, so it's pretty, pretty cool. See you guys again. Hey, um, rekindling hearts. Like I said, Pastor Jeff really did a phenomenal job setting the tone for this. But in reality, this message, this series, is just honestly what I believe a culmination in a bunch of different series that we as a church have been preaching. A bunch of different messages that have been going. Honestly, if I get the time to break it all down, I could trace this message all the way back to messages we were preaching back in May of last year. If I really had the time, man, I would unpack it all for you. I don't have the time, but you just got to trust me when I say this. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. He has been speaking to you. And today I pray that it's a culmination and that you recognize all of what God has been doing Rekindling hearts, Pastor Jeff started by talking about Joash, right? We learned that he was a not-so-good king, right? An evil king, did, did, did things that were evil before the Lord. We learned a little bit about Hezekiah. He was considered a good king, did some great things uh, before the Lord. We learned a little bit also about uh, Manasseh, who was also not a good king. He did some pretty uh, detestable things before the Lord. Uh, and then ultimately, at the end of his life, we saw that Manasseh came to uh, full repentance before the Lord. 
Today, we get to take a look at Josiah. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Kings chapter 22. And really, truthfully, we're going to take like, kind of like snapshots of the life of Josiah uh, and, and kind of like summarize a couple of different things uh, and to communicate kind of like one big uh, idea, one big point. Um, so, uh, but if you can start there, 2 Kings chapter 22, we'll see how all of this uh, begins to unfold. Um, when it comes to Josiah, he is considered a good king, right? He has, is considered one of the guys who did what was right before the Lord. Um, we learn that at the age of eight, he becomes king, right? He steps into this seat of power, which is kind of intense. It's a lot, uh, probably for an eight-year-old. But if you ask an eight-year-old, you know, if you want to be king for a day, they probably are like, yeah, I can't wait, you know, gummy bears and Oreos all day. You know, who, you know they might be all for that, right? Um, during this time, Israel is still divided, right? You have uh, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, okay? There's that division that still exists. And also by this time, Israel, right, the nation in the north, has been ransacked uh, by the Assyrian Empire. Some of them have been drugged, uh, dragged out into uh, captivity. Some of them are living in exile in the remote areas, trying to stay in hiding away from the Assyrian army. Um, and then uh, some people kind of like, you know, s- slipped in and, and went to Judah, right? Because they're trying to avoid being uh, taken captive. But it's just a lot of things happening at this time. But today, what I want us to do is to take a look at four phases of rekindling through the life of Josiah. And then I want us to take a look at what that means for us today as believers. When it comes to the life of Josiah, he goes through these four phases of rekindling. The first phase is that he repents. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings chapter 22, right? Chapter 22, verses, uh, if you see right there, verses 11 through 10, Shabam, or 10 through 11, sorry, click too quick. 10 through 11, we see what takes place here as they find the book of the law, right? They find the book of the law. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king Hilkiah, the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it out loud before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law of the scroll, he tore his clothes. Now, this is important. It's important because when you tear your clothes in ancient Israel, what that means is that you were in mourning or that you were in grief. And so for Josiah to respond in this way really speaks to his heart being in a place of repentance. In fact, it is understood that historically that there was another king who heard the book of the law before. And instead of tearing his clothes, he took a dagger and he tore the scroll. Just to give you context of the different responses between one king and another. And when it comes to Josiah, again, he's considered a good king. This here shows his heart, that he tears his clothes in grief, having heard that the word of the Lord is to live this way, that they haven't been living this way. And so his response is to tear his clothes. Verse 13, he sends the scribe to go and uh, seek a prophet to find out what this means. And so the prophet tells him this. Hey, this, these are your deeds. These are the deeds of the nation of Judah. And this is what you guys are going to reap. Verses, 18, or verses 19 through 20 tell us kind of a confirmation that God has seen the repentant heart of Josiah. And because he has seen Josiah's heart and Josiah is uh, sincere in his repentance, God says to Josiah through this prophet, you will not see the calamity that will befall Judah. 
So he's basically saying, hey, I know your heart. I know that you really want to serve me. And because of that, you won't have to see what is about to take place to Judah. But that's just the first phase. This is just the first phase that Josiah goes through, this this phase of repentance. Now, the second phase is kind of where you start to see his heart for God really shine, right? The second phase is that he renews. The second phase is that he renews. And what what happens here is that Josiah renews the covenant of the Lord before the people. He gathers all of the people together, gathers the old and the young, and as they are gathered together, he reads the scroll before everyone, and everyone understands, hey, man, we are in sin. And then they agree to keep the covenant from that day forward. Verse, two, uh, verse 3 of chapter 22, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant before the Lord, agreeing to follow with all of his heart and being by carrying out the terms of this, of this covenant recorded in this scroll. And all the people agreed to keep the covenant. And this is actually a really, really big thing because Josiah believes so much in renewing the covenant that he, is, he goes to the northern kingdom and tries to find some of the Israelites who are in hiding, right, in these remote areas and calls them to come down to this ceremony. He's like, let's come together, let's repent and renew our heart before the Lord. Josiah is really committed to renewing this relationship back to the Father. In verse 3, is key, where it says that they all agreed to keep the covenant. We'll go back to that in a moment. After he, agree, uh, he, he agrees, they all agreed to renew the, uh, renew the covenant, they move into the third phase. The third phase of rekindling is removal. And so then they start to remove all of these different idols of worship. Second Kings chapter 23, if you can look at verses 4 through 14, there's a good blitz of things that take place there. But here's just a few just to highlight. He threw out the Baal altars, the Asherah poles and stars of the sky. Remember Pastor Jeff talked about this last week? And he said that the stars in the sky was basically these altars that they had set up to worship the stars in the sky because they believed the stars to be these deities. The Asherah poles, he has them taken out of the temple of the Lord and not just taken out of the temple of the Lord. Scripture says that he has them sawed in half, sawed down and grinded into dust. And then the altars of Baal worship, obviously, tossed out of the temple of the Lord. And he doesn't stop there. He eliminates the priests who offer these sacrifices for these foreign gods. So he's like, listen, you're fired. (laughs) We're not doing this anymore. This is over. And on top of it, he removes the prostitutes from the temple. Remember, Pastor Jeff highlighted that when it came to Baal worship, the way that they would worship Baal is through sexually immoral acts in the temple of the Lord. Can you imagine this? So uh, here comes Josiah. He's like, look, we're done with this. Yo, get out. We're, we're done. This is, not, we're not, this is not how we live in accordance to the law, right? And then he goes on to destroy the place where they worship Molech. Now, Molech was a god, that, a pagan god that was worshipped through, uh, through child sacrifice. And so Josiah says, no, we're not going to do this anymore. And he destroys the temple where they used to worship. And the way that it's set up, it was kind of like tucked away into a cave. You would go in through this tunnel, and then you would go into this like hollowed out space like inside of a mound or inside of a hill. And then they would pass the children through fire uh, in an an attempt to, to, to offer them as a sacrifice to Molech. 
History teaches that when Josiah uh, was making all of this reform, he had a boulder dropped onto the entrance of the cave so people couldn't go in there anymore. And then he had another boulder dropped on top of the cave, on top of the mound, so that it would crush and collapse the cave inside so people couldn't get in there any way, shape, or form. He completely shuts it down. And then he defiled the altars of pagan worship. Now, before, when I was researching this, I saw that and I was like, oh, okay, what does this have to do with anything? But as I further researched, I, I understood that to defile something meant to not just destroy it, but to put it under, right? Like it's this idea of like, this is bad and then this is scum. To defile it meant to take it to the level of scum. And the way, one of the ways that they defiled these things of worship is that they would take the bones from the graves of the people who used to worship these gods and they would sprinkle them over the altars. Because it wasn't enough in the heart of Josiah that they would just stop worshiping these gods. He needed to send a statement that none of these gods stood in equality to Yahweh. And so he took every single one of these things, ripped them out of the temple, throws them out, puts these bones over them, the, 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 the dust of these bones, grinds the Asherah poles down, sets them on fire, and says, we're done. When it comes to rekindling our hearts, this is not a phase that we can skip. This is not a phase that we can breeze over. If we want to see a true repentance take place in our hearts, there has to be a removal of the idols. Josiah then moves to this fourth phase of rekindling where he reinstitutes. He reinstitutes the Passover. Now, this is important because when you're talking about Passover, you're talking about the nation of Israel being rescued from Pharaoh, being rescued from Egypt and taken into the promised land. And so when it comes to this particular situation, it's a big deal. 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 21 through 22 says, The king ordered all the people, observe the Passover of the Lord your God as prescribed in the scroll of the covenant. He issued this edict because a Passover like this had not been observed since the days of the judges who led Israel. It was neglected for the entire period of the kings of Israel and Judah. You're talking about from judges to now, they have not celebrated the Passover on this level. And celebrating the Passover, it goes way deeper than celebrating the things that God has done. You're talking about celebrating who God is. They have neglected to recognize and celebrate the character of God. This is dire. This is dire. This is so bad. And when you think about it, it's, it's amazing at the same time. For Josiah, Scripture says... No king before or after repented before the Lord as he did with his whole heart, soul, being in accordance with the whole law of Moses. Now, it can be really easy for us to look at the nation of Judah and say, man, they're so, they're so wicked. They're so foul. I can't believe that they did all of this. I can't believe they lived their lives like this. But before you start moving into a place like that, it is very it is important that you understand that we are no better than Judah. We are no better than Judah. We do the exact same things that Judah did. See, in our hearts, in the throne room of your heart, right? 
You may not be worshiping the God of Asherah. You may not be worshiping the starry, the starry hosts in the sky, but you very much from time to time or maybe very often worship the God of self. And the God of self lurks so deep in our hearts that sometimes we find new and creative ways to justify why we don't fully surrender to Jesus. And that's what this really is about. Judah is refusing to surrender to God, to surrender to him as being the leader. Now, why is that important? It's important because of this. When God first established, when God first established his nation, the goal was for them to operate in a theocracy. The goal was for them to operate in a theocracy. You might be asking, well, what is a theocracy? A theocracy is simply this. It is a system in which the priests serve and seek God, but God leads the people. Right? It is a system in which the priests seek and serve God, but God leads the people. Now, when you look at the nation of Israel, there came a point. There came a point where they wanted a king. They wanted a king because they wanted to be like other nations. They wanted to be seen as being on the same page with them. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 through 7, the prophet Samuel is brokenhearted that this is what the people want. And he goes to God and he's like, God, I don't know what to do with them. And God says to Samuel, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They are, in fact, rejecting me. They are putting me by the wayside. And if I'm being honest, in our heart of hearts, in the throne room of our hearts, we sometimes do the very same thing. So we can't jump on Judah and get all up in arms like, I can't believe they would do something like this, when the reality is we sometimes do it our very selves. See, one of the ways they would do this is they would add gods into the temple of God, which was designated for God. You and I have been created in the image of God, and the temple of our hearts is created for one God, for Yahweh. However, way too often we're adding all of these other gods into the throne room of our hearts, money, relationships, family, sex, power, status. We add these things in here thinking that they are going to fulfill and satisfy, but they never do. When you really think about it, sometimes it fleshes itself out in funny ways, right? Oh, man, you know what? I don't have time to pray. Or, oh, man, I wish I had more time to read my Bible. But you do have time. It's all about how you prioritize your time. Right? And so sometimes in the most subtle ways, we're erecting these pagan idol places of worship in our hearts. Now, when it comes to this theocracy, right, when it comes to the way that God had intended to establish his kingdom, the way that it worked, again, right, you have a king, you have a prophet, you have a priest. A priest would perform the, uh, the duties of worship. The prophet was there to keep the people and the king accountable to the one whom they were supposed to be led by, which was God, right? God leads the people. And then you have the king, Enter Jeremiah. 
See, it's very interesting when you read this story and all the things that Josiah has done, when you read it from this one angle, sometimes you can get a certain type of picture. But when we read it through the eyes of Jeremiah the prophet, I believe we see the real issue at hand. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah begins to kind of unpack the sins of Israel and the sins of Judah. Verse, yeah, verse 20 is when he starts to focus on Judah specifically. And the irony, too, is right that Jeremiah was also called at a very young age. This is a pretty kind of cool situation for both him and Josiah. Jeremiah was called by God, and he begins to speak for God to the people. And we start to learn some interesting things about Judah. The language that God uses in, in the way that he's describing what Judah has done is like very, I mean, very, we got young ones in here, so I'm a chill. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, I'll just leave it at that. You, you have an opportunity to read it one day. Again, we just got some young ones in here, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, we keep it Jesus, you know. You have an opportunity to read it. You should. But I believe the language is that way for a reason, because it's, it's the truth of what it is, but we don't always like hearing the truth of the weight of our sin. Oftentimes, we like to regulate our sins as misdemeanors in our minds because we don't fully understand how holy God really is. But our God is holy. He is separate. He is set apart. He is righteous. And he should be treated as such. And in the story, in the book of Jeremiah, we start to see a different side of what's taking place. Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, in my opinion, show us the truth of what's going on and maybe why the calamity continued to follow Judah even after Josiah set forth this reform. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 11 reads like this. It says, When Josiah was king of Judah, the Lord said to me, right, Jeremiah, you have no doubt seen what wayward Israel has done. You have seen how she went up on every hill and under under every green tree to give herself like a prostitute to the other gods. Yet even after she had done all that, I thought she might come back to me, but she did not. So he's talking about Israel at that point, right? Then it shifts. Her sister, unfaithful Judah, saw what she did. She also saw that because of wayward Israel's adulterous worship of other gods, I sent her away and gave her divorce papers. But still her unfaithful sister Judah was not afraid, and she too went and gave herself like a prostitute to other gods. In other words, Israel got, got booted for being wilding out, right? And so then Judah decides she also wants to wile out, and she saw what happened to Israel, but she did not change her ways. Verse 9, because she took her prostitution so lightly, she defiled the land through her adulterous worship of gods made of wood and stone. In spite of all this, Israel's sister, unfaithful Judah, has not turned back to me with any sincerity. She has only pretended to do so, says the Lord. Then the Lord said to me, under the circumstances, Wayward Israel could even be considered less guilty than unfaithful Judah. 
You know what's worse than idol worship? Fake repentance. Not turning back to the Lord with any sincerity. Pretending that you want Jesus when you really don't. We can't play church. We can't play church. If you truly want to live a life where your heart is rekindled to the Father, you can't play church. When we read this perspective from Jeremiah, now it starts to make sense. Right? We understand God to be a holy God, but we also understand God to be a gracious God, a loving God, a forgiving God. And so sometimes we understand that in his grace and mercy, he will relent of his wrath and give grace. But that doesn't happen in Judah's case, and we now understand why. As I was studying this, what I found out was that even though Josiah brought all of this reform the people were still sneaking and worshiping these other gods. They erected the same places of worship, but in different places. They were doing it now in secret. And how often are we guilty of re-erecting the hidden places of our hearts? Man, we're so broken. We're so broken. And you want to know why this is? Jeremiah also tells us why. Chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitfully wicked above everything else. Who can discern it? That's what he says. He says, who can discern it? Deceitfully wicked. Wow. Well, what's the solution, Pastor Jamal? I, my heart is deceitfully wicked. Josiah tries to bring reform. It doesn't work. You can't, legalize, you can't legislate morality. Me and Pastor Matt, I'm just going to say it, Pastor Matt. I, I, I went back and forth about it. Like, me and Pastor Matt were having this discussion about this, and I was talking to him about this point, and I was going back and forth about saying it, but I'm just going to say it. Like, I, I think Biden can't save you. Trump can't save you. Democrats can't save you. Republicans can't save you. There is no political party in the entire world that can transform your heart. Not a single one can transform your heart. That's what we need. We need a heart transformation. We need heart transformation. We need something inside of here to shift, to change. There is no one in this world who will sit in a physical seat that will make you want God. You can even read. Did you know you could read this and still not want God? I'm about to take it a step further. Did you know you could be in the very presence of Jesus and still not want Jesus? Ask Judas. Something has to change in here in order for it to work. Thank God that our God is a God of completion, of fullness, and can see the beginning from the end. Enter Jesus. Jesus is the completion in full power of the theocracy. He holds every single seat equally and completely. 
He is the prophet that we need. He is the priest that we need. He is the king that we need. So you can feel the weight of John the Baptist's words when he sees Jesus in the distance and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is power in what John the Baptist is declaring in that moment. In Josiah's day, the theocracy is present, but it's powerless. In Jesus' day, it is present, it is powerful, it is persisting, it is now. And when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the donkey and the people are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. Man, did they, they had no clue what they were getting. But today, you and I, we have a clue. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. You want a rekindled heart? You need heart transformation. If you really want to live before God, you have to have heart transformation. It cannot be a bunch of tears and empty actions. There has to be change. And thank God for the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus provides the power to change. Provides the power within our hearts, within our souls, for there to be a transformation. Say, Pastor Jamal, how do I do that? You die daily. You die every single day. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If any man want to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. Every day. Every day. And I'm so thankful for the life of Josiah because Josiah, he shows us how to die daily, right? You repent. You repent of your sins. And see, here's the thing. Repentance is not just confession, but repentance is turning away from the things that are not of the Lord. It is choosing to not engage in the things that stand opposed to Jesus. It is renewal. You renew your resolve to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. I love the picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel in Daniel chapter 3 where they're standing there and they're being sifted out as to who's going to be, who's great, who's not so great, who can be used in this, in this particular system, in this kingdom, in the Babylonian empire, who cannot be used. And when it comes to these Hebrew guys, they decide that they will not defile themselves with the king's food. Scripture says they resolved. They said, no, we're going to stand firm in this. We are not going to walk in this way. For us, we must also renew and resolve in our hearts that we will follow Jesus and Jesus alone. You remove the idols. You remove the idols in your life. Remove these other places that you find yourself consistently worshiping at. And you have to do it with the same passion that Josiah does. We cannot treat these idols in our lives just so carelessly. Can I just give you some practicals on this? I'm just gonna be very practical. 
If you're struggling, man, look, if you're struggling with always having to step into a political platform to give your opinions on this, that, and the third, maybe just, I don't know, just delete your Facebook for a while. I, I just, did you know they are, do you know that they put that algorithm together specifically for you so that they can keep you kind of like clicking on the things they want you to click on? Believing the narratives they want you to believe. So maybe you just need to delete your Facebook, delete your social media. Maybe you're finding yourself in a, in, man, wow, okay, you know what, no. Obedience, obedience. You struggle with pornography, maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone, get a dumb phone. I, like I'm being real though, like you know what I mean? Like, say Pastor Ma, oh, that's gonna inconvenience me. Well, hell sounds like a great inconvenience, I don't know, like. You know what else sounds like a great inconvenience? Your family being wrecked and being put in shambles, like your relationship. <laughs> we have to make different decisions. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, man, gouge it out. These things got to be removed. And either your heart wants to be, either you want to be rekindled or you don't. And then we reinstitute. We reinstitute, not necessarily Passover, but we reinstitute our belief in the finished work of Jesus Christ. See, this is important. Because oftentimes when we sin, it's because we are choosing to believe the lie instead of the truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ has gone to the cross and paid for our sins fully and completely. So we don't now, now we don't have to try to perform to try to gain some sort of like advantage in this person's life. I don't have to lie to make myself look good for this person. I don't have to fake being this type of way to try to get these people to like me, to try to get approval or get acceptance. But we reinstitute a belief in Jesus and his work on the cross. Today, I just wanna give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord in the same way, the same passion, same commitment that Josiah did. Trusting in God to work in us and bring the transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Pastor Jamal, how? Man, you die daily. Man, that sounds hard. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit helps you. How often do I have to do it? Every single day. And I feel like I have to do it more than every day. Great. I have to do it moment by moment. <laughs> Welcome to the club. But every time I do, I reinstitute the belief that he walks beside me. I reinstitute the belief 
that his work on the cross is enough. I reinstitute the belief that he will see me through. I reinstitute the belief that he who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Come on, somebody. But a rekindled heart doesn't work with fake repentance. Would you bow your heads this morning? You're in this place today and you say, Pastor Jamal, I've, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But when you're talking about this idea of the priest, the prophet, the king coming to take away the sins of the world, that's me. I need my sins to be forgiven. You're in this place and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, but today you want to. I want to give you an opportunity with every head bowed and every eye closed today. 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jamal, I've never given my heart to Jesus, but today I want to. Would you slip your hand up today? I want to pray for you today. Just waiting a moment. Thank you. I see that hand. You can put your hand down. Jesus, I thank you so much for that one God that raised their hand today. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for, for their sins, for our sins, so that we might be made whole once again. Father, I ask today that you would begin the transformation process in their hearts on a whole nother level. And Lord, I ask that you would send fellow believers to come alongside of them, God. To encourage, to lift up, to pray with them, to believe with them, God. For the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, we thank you today for this one that has now stepped into life from death. We thank you, Jesus. If you made that decision today, I'm going to ask that before you leave this place, you find one of us, pastoral staff, myself, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Bonnie, Pastor Matt, and if you see Pastor Todd, either one of us, man, we would love to talk to you about the decision that you've made here today. But if you're in this place today and you say, Pastor Jamal, I need to rekindle my heart. I, I kind of get stuck in the process between maybe repenting and, and, and renewing. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry and I confess it, but I don't know if I completely turn away from it. Maybe you get stuck in the process between renewing a resolve and, and having desires for different things. And maybe you're stuck in this place of, of removing the idols from your life because you enjoy them too much. Or maybe you're struggling with reinstituting belief in Jesus Christ and, and the work that he's done in your life. And today is an opportunity for heart transformation. If you're in this place today, say, Pastor Jamal, that's me. I need a heart transformation. I need, I need the help of the Holy Spirit to rekindle my heart and life. If that's you today, would you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you today. Thank you. 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 I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Can we stand to our feet this morning, please? Father, you see the hands of those, God, who today declare and, and decree, Lord, that we need a heart transformation.
We need a rekindling, God. God, I'm asking right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that has the power to transform us. And so God, I ask right now, transform our hearts, God. Transform us, God, so that we could truly, Father, truly be committed to you. Help us to truly repent, to walk away from our sins, God. Help us to truly renew in our hearts a resolve, a desire to serve and live for only you. Help us, God, to remove the idols of our life. God, get them out of there. In the name of Jesus, remove them from our lives, God. God, I pray that for those who raise their hands today, God, that they would never go back to those things ever again, God. Let there be truly complete freedom in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, may, us, may we reinstitute our belief that you are enough in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we cannot live this life without your help. So we ask you, help us to die every single day day that we may bear fruit for your kingdom and bring glory to your name Lord I ask that for everybody under the sound of my voice may your anointing rest upon them God to continue to live for you may their, your anointing rest upon them God to continue to declare the goodness of God and Lord I pray you would protect us in our going, in our coming, God. On every side, help us to live lives rekindled to you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Go and be a blessing to others.